Okay. Um, all right. You guys know. You guys know Noah built an ark, right? You guys knew this, right? All right. Noah built the ark. Abraham left his home. And what did the text say? Not knowing where he was going. Joseph, remember that great story? Joseph humbly submitted himself under the providence of God for many, many years. Moses stood before Pharaoh with just a stick in his hand. Joshua took the promised land. David stepped in front of a giant when he was just a boy. A widow gave her last cent to the temple treasury. Matthew left his job, and Peter left his business, and Paul left his religion. Fast forward a little bit. William Carey left his uh, home in England, and he took his family to India. Amy Carmichael, some of you know, went to India as well. She saved hundreds of little girls from Hindu temple prostitution. Adoniram Judson uh, left his comfortable home in New England, and, and he went to Burma. Charlotte Moon poured her life out in China. George Mueller, one of, my, one of my heroes in the history of the church, you know what he did. You hear me say it a lot. But God used him to supply for 10,000 orphans during his lifetime. One more, one more group. Fast forward a little more. Fab will remember. Probably Fab's the only one in here that will, other than me. Uh, Chuck and Shirley Travis. Fabrizia and Jay. Uh, helped replant this dead church. John Furphy, some of you may remember, John Furphy gave $50,000 the first year. And please don't, this, this, I didn't know that anybody would be here that knew him, but, but uh, that first year when we, <laughs> when we didn't really know how we were going to get to the end of the year, God used him to do that. Dave and Renee planted uh, Youth Compass in Milano. Nelson and Sandy Carter planted the North Church in Monza. Giuseppe, Rachel, Keith, and Debbie are expending their lives to plant biblically sound churches, Italian churches. Uh, Susan and John and Derek and Emily and others in this group um, teach our children uh, while we're here together. And I said all that to say this. My question is why? Why do people do things like this? Why do people who have encountered Jesus Christ do things like this? Is it because they're do-gooders? Is it because they're religious rule keepers? Or is it out of some sense of guilt? Is it out of some sense of ought? Is it out of some sense of, of should? Are they trying to earn their salvation? Why do people who have encountered Jesus Christ do these kinds of things? Well, we know what the Bible says about this. James chapter 2, 14 through 20. I'm just going to read it to you. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So the Bible speaks to this. The Bible says that real faith builds arcs and it steps in front of giants and it gives its last cent and it goes to Burma and it goes to India and it plants a church 
in Milano. Real faith works. I looked up the word faith. If I asked you to define it, what would you say? There were some real unsatisfactory answers in the dictionary. Let me share them with you. One says, uh, a religious conviction. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not going to go to Burma uh, because of religious conviction. Okay. One said, a system of religious beliefs. I don't think so. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to, to give sacrificially because I believe in uh, a system of religious beliefs. Another definition was a set of spiritual principles. I don't think so. That's not enough for me. Doctrine and orthodoxy is not enough for me. And I know it wasn't religious conviction and a system of belief or a, a system of spiritual principles that sustained Adoniram Judson when he was in Burma and he watched his wife die and he watched his daughter die and he watched his son die. It wasn't just orthodoxy and doctrine. There was something much deeper than that. Something much deeper than that. There was a definition I really liked about faith. It said this, a confident belief in the truth, the value, and the trustworthiness of a person, an idea, or a thing. I think we're getting closer to why Christians do what they do. I looked at some synonyms here for the word faith. Confidence, trust, reliance, devotion, loyalty, allegiance. I think we're getting closer. Christians all down through in the Bible and all down through the history of the church, they don't do things because, because they're driven by a set of principles. They do things because why? You already know. They love God. They've met God. And they love Him. That's why. That's why Christians do what they do. There's a confident belief and trust in the value and the trustworthiness of God. It's about God. And if we've genuinely encountered Him, and y'all, you, you guys could give testimony, it becomes very personal very quickly, doesn't it? It's not about, you know, it's not about dead religion. It's about being in relationship. It's about being in a real relationship with the living God. What does Jesus say? If you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments if you love me. It's not about if you think I'm right or if you think I've got some good ideas, if you think my proposal is sound, or if you think my, my orthodoxy is beautiful or my doctrine is pristine. He says what? If you love me. This is why men and women do what they do. Because they've come to love this beautiful God. It's like, you know, encountering Christ in this mutual love, this mutual devotion, this mutual loyalty, this mutual allegiance begins to flow from, from the Lord Jesus and, and the believer. And it just flows between the Lord Jesus and the believer in a very, very personal way. It becomes a very deep and profound and compelling relationship. And I want you to hear me say this. Knowers of Christ are lovers of Christ. This is one thing that backhandedly John is going to say in our text. Knowers of Christ are lovers of Christ. And lovers of Christ are followers of Christ. And John is going to basically say that to us tonight in our text. We happily, we gladly, we joyfully, we expectantly obey our Lord Jesus. Not because we ought or we should. Yes, we ought and we should but it's because we desire to do it. It's our heartbeat to do it. It's a thing. It's, it's, it's about the heart. 
Because He's a beautiful God. I am the Kalo Shepherd, He says. He's the beautiful Shepherd. He's good. He's faithful. He's true. He's trustworthy. And He wants to enter into a relationship with His people. A personal relationship to His people. Tonight, as we look at this text in 1 John, we'll be looking at the fourth hallmark of a true Christian. I've told you that 1 John is the book of assurance in the Bible. Really, the, the whole Bible is a mirror. We're supposed to look into it and see if we see ourselves reflected in it. But particularly 1 John. It is the book of assurance. And we've seen three assurances so far uh, in the first few verses. Uh, one, one assurance of... Uh, let me give you the first three that we've, we've gotten so far. Uh, a genuine Christian believes John's testimony. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. We believe it. We have no doubt about it. The second thing is that we are in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 7. We walk in the light. Last week we talked a lot about the fact that what does a Christian do with his sin? He hides it. He suppresses it. He denies it. No. What does a real Christian do with his sin? He confesses it before the Lord. He deals with his sin. He cooperates with God in his sanctification. He cooperates with God in His sanctification. This fourth hallmark that we're going to see tonight is a true Christian is in relationship with God. A true Christian knows God. It's personal. And this knowing God is unmistakable in the life of the believer. It's tangible. It's palpable. It's visible. It's obvious. We've said it the last several weeks. Someone would be able to see our lives and say, yeah, yeah, that's a Christian. That's a Christian. They belong to Christ. I can tell. I can tell the way they talk. I can tell the way they, they do business. I can tell the way they conduct themselves. I can tell the way they relate to people. Jesus is on their lips. I can tell. I can tell that they're a Christian. Let's go back and revisit the text. I just want to read it again. First John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. We know we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Verse 4, And the one who says, I have come to know Him, there it is three times already, No, I have come to know Him, and, and the one who says he's come to know Him and he does not keep His commandments, he's what? Someone tell me from the text. There John goes again. It's that black and white preaching. You know, John, he'd never make it in the States today. He'd never make the cut. Man, that's too hard. That's, you can't preach like that to people anymore. John doesn't care about that. He's interested in eternal fruit, <laughs> not temporal fruit. So John just preaches the truth. He says, if we say that we've come to know Him, but we don't live like it, he says, hey, the deal is you're just lying. And the truth is not in you. Number five, but whoever keeps His word, in Him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. Verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner in which he walked. You know, what can you say? John's just a black and white guy. This is how, this is how he preaches. He doesn't preach pretty. He just preaches straight. And we've been hearing it for four or five weeks now. And I think we've had a few casualties. <laughs> it's hard. John preaches hard. But you know why he does? He doesn't want you to go through life deceived, thinking you're something you're not. And that's what 1 John is all about. The Holy Spirit has prompted him 
to write this text. If we say that we've come to know him, but we don't do what he says, John says we're liars. And I told you a couple of weeks ago that, that Billy Graham, I heard him say this, I heard, him, I heard it come from his lips many, many, many years ago, that Billy Graham thinks there are a lot of liars in the church. He said 70% of all those who profess to be Christians, he did not believe were because it's not evident in their life. Wow, it's a high number. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that George uh, Barna, who is a sociologist and researcher, he talked to Christians and non-Christians on 131 different attitudes and values and beliefs and, and, and the way their world view. And you know what he found? You remember what I told you? He found no difference. So George Barna had found some liars as well as he talked to professed Christians. Friends, I think we need, and I'm not going to talk about this very long, but I think we need more preachers like John. We would have smaller crowds on Sunday. There's no doubt about it. We'd have smaller crowds on Sunday. But I think we would live bigger lives Monday through Saturday. I really do. I really do. He loves us enough to tell us the truth. If you're not walking the words of Christ, hey, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church. If you're not really living it, it doesn't really matter. If you're not really doing it, John says, don't be deceived. A real Christian actually lives and does the words of Jesus Christ. They're salty and they're luminous as we talked about last week. So why does knowing Jesus Christ equate to obeying Jesus Christ? Because to know Him is to love Him. And to love Him is to trust Him. And to trust Him is to obey Him. It's really just that simple. That's the whole sermon right there. To know Him is to love Him. And I bet I could get a lot of amens from you on that. I'm sure almost everyone in here, if not everyone in here, could give testimony to that. To know Christ is to love Christ. And to love Christ is to trust Christ. And to trust Christ is to obey Christ. It's just who we are. It's just who we are as Christians. It's like I told the morning congregation. It's almost like an, it almost becomes an avalanche in your life. You almost get addicted to, uh, to obeying God. You almost get, do you understand what I'm saying? You almost get addicted to it. Because every time you obey Him, here He comes. Here He comes. We'll talk about that a little bit more. It's John 14, 21. And I'm going to share a story with you I've shared with you maybe once before. Some of you have probably heard it before. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to share it, but I'm going to because it perfectly illustrates the point. Uh, uh, during my business career, I worked for a really, really bad man. He was really bad. He was bad in every conceivable way. He was just bad. I used to sit behind my desk and go, Lord Jesus, why am I in here with this guy? He owned the business and I was his controller. I was his financial manager. And he came to me one day and he asked me to do something illegal. And the reason you know this is not a story about how cool Jim is and what a good Christian Jim is is because I didn't say no the first time. And it was lunchtime. And I didn't say no right off. And I went, out to, I went out to my car, what, what I used to always do, I'd go get in my car and I'd, I'd drive to McDonald's or something, I'd get a hamburger and I'd go park under a tree and I'd do my Bible study. I'd always have my Bible with me, I was in something called Bible Study Fellowship and I, I would always be doing my lesson at lunch, but I was a little distracted because I knew if I didn't do what he asked, I knew I was gone. I knew I didn't have a job and I had a stay-at-home wife, I had two kids, I had a dog, I had a cat and I had two finches at home and I felt the weight, <laughs> I felt the weight of all of that. And I said, Lord Jesus, help me be a man. 
Help me be the man I know you want me to be. I didn't want to do the illegal thing, but I was really afraid if I didn't, I would lose my job. And God took me to John 14, 21. It's one of my favorite verses. And if you don't know this verse, you need to learn this verse. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And here it comes. Does anybody know how it ends? And I will show myself to you. And I'm sitting there in my car. And the light bulb, the light bulb went on above my head. And I said, that's what I want. I'm not going to go back in there because I'm super Christian man. Because I'm not. I'm a big coward. But I want to, I'm going to go back in there because Jesus says, when you obey me, I will come to you and I will reveal myself and I will disclose myself and I will manifest myself in your life. And I didn't go back in there because I was a spiritual giant. I went back in there because I was a thirsty man and I wanted more of God. And I went in there and my boss's name was John and I said, John, I can't do it. I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. He says... You're gone. I said, praise the Lord. And I had this smile on my face. And I know, he was, I know he thought I was smoking crack. But I wasn't smoking crack. I had something much better than crack. I had the promise of God. And I had a 30-minute drive home. And I was going to have to break the news to the little woman, right? And I, 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 I had a 30-minute drive home and I was just... Uh, but I did, I promise you, I had this sense of anticipation about how God was going to show up in my life. And I'm not going to go into it, but God showed up. Friends, this is an awesome promise, and you need to know it. And you need to live it. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And when you do, I'm headed your way. I'm going to come and teach you more about myself. I'm going to reveal more about myself. I'm going to show you just how beautiful I am. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful text. And this is what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I will disclose myself, he says. So to know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to trust Him. To trust Him is to obey Him. And to obey Him is to encounter Him in a new and deeper way. How could you not obey God? Friends, I want to challenge you. I want you to remember this promise. This promise will set you free. You won't be afraid as much anymore as you used to be. There's a huge... You cannot lose the christian does never the christian never loses in obedience ever ever never when you get to heaven you go ask adoniram judson when he watched his wife die and his son die and his daughter die if he lost you go ask him i know what he's going to say you come ask me did i lose when i lost my job no <laughs> and I, I don't have time to tell you the end of the story you can't lose when you obey God. You never lose. In fact, you always win. God is going to come to you and He's going to give Himself to you in a brand new way. And friends, I want that. I'm thirsty for that. John is saying if you knew Him, if you knew Him, you would know He's worthy to obey. He's beautiful. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's good. If you really knew Him, you would live like that. This is what John is saying in this text. He's saying... If you say you know Him, but you don't live like you do, I have to assume you're lying. Because if you really knew Him, you would. 
This is what John is saying. This is what he's saying. It's very simple. If you really knew him, you would. You would know that you, you'd know about that disclosure thing and you would be hungry and you would be thirsty for more. And you would obey him for no other reason other than that he would come to you. And he would reveal himself to you in a new way. Friends, this is an addicting thing. And I hope you've discovered this in your own life. That obedience, in obedience, God comes and he reveals himself to his children. It's unthinkable to John that anyone could really know Christ and not live his commands. To him, this is unthinkable. It's incongruous. It's a good word. It's incongruous. It's incompatible. It's absurd. It's an oxymoron to him that someone could say, I know Christ, but he lives exactly like the world. John says, that's impossible. Because if you really knew him, if you really knew him, you would obey. You would obey. Because if you really knew him, you would be hopelessly in love with him. This is what John, this is one, one of the things that he's saying to us. This is what he's saying to us. Again, I want to mention it again. Are we talking about sinless perfection? No. The Bible doesn't teach sinless perfection. 1 John doesn't teach sinless perfection. We never arrive in this life at sinless perfection. We won't be like Him until we see Him. We don't arrive at sinless perfection. But it's, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's the motivation. It's the direction. It's the thrust. It's the drive. It's the track. It's the trend of our life to put down sin to put down sin and be increasingly sanctified as we walk with the Lord Jesus. Whoever, verse 5, whoever keeps His Word, the love of God has been perfected in Him. There's one other, there's one other thing that the Bible tells us that is perfected in obedience. Does anybody remember what it is? It's that famous uh, faith passage I read from earlier, James chapter 2, verse 21, 22, excuse me. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of his works, faith was what? Perfected. Faith was perfected. Okay, I've got a parenthetical comment I need to make here. All right? Some people say, some people say that we're justified by our works. Now, I think if any of you have been here very long, we understand we're not justified by our works. We're not justified by our works. We're justified, what does the Bible say? We're justified by our faith. So what is James saying here? He's saying that, that, that Abraham's Genesis 15 profession of faith, of believing, was validated in Genesis 22 when he offered Isaac. And this is what real biblical faith looks like. Okay, we're justified by faith, but the works always come. The works come right in behind it. It's like day. It's like night follows day. It's like night. Uh, uh, night follows day. As one theologian said, faith alone justifies. Okay, I want to make sure we understand this. We're justified by faith alone. Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. The works come right in behind. Okay, by our faith, by our works. Faith perfected. By our works, faith is perfected. And John is telling us something similar here. If we, if we uh, keep His Word, what? The love of God is also perfected. By this we know that we know Him. Close parentheses. I just want to make that point. John tells us that in obedience, the love of God is perfected. James tells us that in faith, uh, in obedience, faith is perfected. 
And John tells us that this obedience, it flows from the heart of someone who truly knows God. And it makes me think, I just got to go back and revisit Abraham. I'll tell you another quick story. When I was first converted at the age of 28, I may have mentioned this to you before, one of the first things that happened to me, a friend of mine uh, kidnapped me and he took me to Bible Study Fellowship. Anybody know what Bible Study Fellowship is? It's a great Bible teaching ministry in the States. In fact, they, they, they teach around the world. But they were, they were studying Genesis. They were studying Genesis, and I loved it. I loved what I saw going on with Abraham and, and God. Have you ever studied it? I love it. God, he just keeps coming to Abraham. He just keeps coming to Abraham. Now, Abraham, is, he's, he's obeying the Lord. And we know he doesn't obey perfectly. We know he stumbles a couple of times. But, but he gets back up. He repents. He gets back up. And, and he, the drive of his life is, is to follow God and obey God. And God just keeps what? God just keeps doing that, that John 14, 21 thing. God just keeps coming to him. I love that. When I, re I remember reading that as a, as a brand new believer. I thought, that's what I want. That's how I want it to be in my life. I want it to be like that with me and God. That's what I want. I love that beautiful, beautiful story about Abraham. God just keeps giving himself to Abraham. Abraham just keeps believing. And God says, well, you just need to uh, uh, sacrifice your son. Abraham gets up early the next day and he goes to do it. He doesn't question it. He'd been walking with God for about 25 years. Guess what? He trusted God. God had showed up so many times for him. And Isaac said, well, what's going to happen? Where's the, where's the, where's the sacrifice? What did Abraham say? Jehovah Jireh. Friends, this is why I want you to live your life. Jehovah Jireh will provide. God will provide. You can obey fearlessly out in the world because your God is God. He is Jehovah Jireh. And He will provide. He will provide. A knower of God is a lover of God. A lover of God is a truster of God. A truster of God is an obeyer of God. This is one of the points that John is making. John says, come on, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You can't know him and live like you don't. It's impossible. I mean, this, is, this is basically what he's saying to us. In uh, just 16 verses, the first 16 verses of 1 John, he said it in about five or six ways. John says that, that genuine Christians, we practice the truth. Genuine Christians walk in the light. Genuine Christians keep His Word. Genuine Christians have fellowship with Jesus. Genuine Christians keep His commandments. Genuine Christians abide in Him. Genuine Christians walk as He walked. You getting the drift? You understand? Are you getting the, the point of what John is saying to us here? <laughs> He's making it as clear as He can to us. He's making it as clear as He can. Verse 6, And the one who says he abides in Him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. I love this word, abide. It, it, you may remember when we went through the Gospel of John, we saw it in John chapter 8, verse 30, 31. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, what are you? He says, you're mine. I mean, we see this. This is a repeated theme throughout the New Testament. Actually, the Old Testament as well. He says, if you abide in my word, then you're truly one of mine. And what does it mean to abide? Let's just make it clear. What does it mean to abide in the Word of God? What's it supposed to look like? I looked at some synonyms. It means that we, we, we sojourn in His Word. We dwell in His Word. We tarry in His Word. We endure in His Word. We last in His Word. We keep in His Word. We live in His Word. We are immersed and absorbed in His Word. That's what it means to abide. 
That's what it means to abide. John is making this point as clearly and as plainly as he can. So let me ask you, friend, professing Christian, let me ask you. When you hold up 1 John, when you hold up 1 John, do you see yourself? This is what John is doing. It's a mirror for us to look at ourselves. Do you see yourself? John loves us and he's saying, hey, don't be deceived. Don't just be a church goer. There's a lot of those guys. Don't just be one of those guys. You be real. And this is what it looks like. You walk in the light. You abide in Him. You walk as He walked. I've said it, um, I don't know, a hundred times in the last four years since we've been here. From this pulpit. James 1.22. We're supposed to be doers of the Word. Let me ask you. Are you a doer of the Word? And what does James tell us? If, if we're not actually doing the Word, what are we? We're hearers who what? Are deluded. We have deluded ourselves. We have deluded ourselves. So why does a man build an ark when he's never seen it rain? And why does a boy step in front of a giant? Why does a woman give her last penny into the temple treasury? Why do men take their families to China and Burma and India? Why do people do these kinds of things? Because Christ is compellingly beautiful. He is compellingly beautiful. And it's not, yes, doctrine's important, and I'll be the first one to say it. Doctrine is hugely important. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm not going to obey because of doctrine. I'm going to obey because I love Him. When it gets hard, you're not going to obey because it's in the catechism. When it gets tough and when everything's on the line, you're not going to obey because, you know, it's good, it's good uh, doctrine or it's, it's orthodox or, or whatever. You're not going to... No, you're going to obey because you love Him. You're going to obey because you want that disclosure thing. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. I love what, John, what, what Jesus said in John 8. If you're mine, you abide in my word. And then what did he say? You shall know the, the truth and you shall be what? I told the morning congregation, brothers and sisters, we're free. We are not constrained by the, the wisdom of the world. We, God has set us free to live um, obedient lives, extravagantly obedient lives. God has set us free to do that. And what is that truth? That He is beautiful. That He is faithful. That He is God. That He can be trusted. That He can be trusted. And that He is worth living for. And He is worth dying for. David said it so well in Psalm 16. Thou will make known to me the path of life. And Thy presence is a fullness of joy. This is what a true believer knows. This is why, this is why obedience gets easier and easier and easier because they begin to understand that joy is with God. And in thy right hand there are pleasures forever. Pleasures forever. So why do men and women do these kinds of things? Because they've caught a glimpse of Christ, a genuine glimpse of Christ. I want to close with a, a quote from John Piper and then I'm through. Um, I've shared this with you before. Uh, but this is really good. Piper says this is uh, this is uh, the way a genuine this is the worldview of a genuine Christian. This is why we do the things we do. 
uh, first and foremost, we've, we've, we've learned that it's not about us, right? It's not about us. I know I have to get recalibrated sometimes. I, I, start to thinking, I start thinking like it's all about Jim, but it's not all about Jim. It's about Jesus Christ. Listen to, what, listen to what Piper says. Human life is all about God. Does anybody believe that? Anyone here? Does anyone believe that human life is all about God? Do you live <laughs> like that? I love this paragraph because it convicts me a lot. Human life, he says, is all about God. That is the meaning of being a human being. It is our created nature to make much of God. It is our glory to worship the glory of God. When we fulfill this reason for being, we have substance. There is weight and significance in our existence. Knowing, enjoying, and thus displaying the glory of God is a sharing of... Uh, excuse me, as a sharing in the glory of God. Not that we become God, but something of His greatness and His beauty is upon us. And as, uh, as we realize this purpose for our being, to image forth His excellence in doing His will. This is what John's talking about. This is why we obey. This is why we obey. Piper continues, not to fulfill this purpose for human existence is to be a mere shadow of the substance we were created to have. Not to display God's worth by enjoying Him above all things is to be a mere echo of the music we were created to make. This is a great tragedy, he says, in every life. A great tragedy. We were made to have God-like substance and make God-like music and to have God-like impact. Do you believe this, friends? Beloved, do you believe this? Do you live like this? And listen to how he closes. But we humans forsake, but when we forsake our Maker and love other things more than Him, they, then we become like those things. We become small. Our lives become small and insignificant and weightless and inconsequential and God-diminishing. John says, don't tell me you know Jesus Christ and live like the world. He says, I don't believe it because if you really knew Him, you wouldn't live like that. You'd give yourself over wholly and fully to Him. It would be your deepest desire. It would be your greatest joy. Don't you love I love 1 John. I'm getting, I get so convicted as I study this book and as I preach this book. I love this book. I love, I love just how it's black and white. You know, there's nothing gray. It's just black and white. This is how it is. And I love it. And I hope God is blessing you as much as He's blessing me. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this. I thank You for this letter. Father, I thank You that You call us to a lofty place. I thank You that You love us so much You won't let us lay down spiritually and get fat and lazy and apathetic and lethargic. You're always calling us, always calling us to a deeper walk, a higher walk, a more joyful walk, a more profound relationship with You. What an awesome promise. When we obey, You come. What an awesome promise. And we claim that tonight, Father. And I pray that each one of us will walk out of here and never forget that when we obey, even if it costs in a temporal sense, we get more of you. 
Lord, may we, may we live by that principle. May we, may we make that part of our, our, our daily lives. We'll obey today because of your promise to disclose yourself to us. Oh, great God, thank you for this book. Thank you for challenging us and convicting us. As we so often, Father, we, we know that we are vapors upon the earth. We have moments. We have moments. And you've called us not to waste them. You've called us to be stewards. Great God, may we be good stewards. May we be good stewards of the time you've given us here. May we be reflecting the glory of Christ. May we be doing those good works. May we be the salt of the earth. May we be uh, the light of the world. That men and women, boys and girls, would see that you are real, that you do matter more than anything else. And they would be attracted to you through what you do in our lives. Beautiful God, help us to learn to live like that. Help us to live in such a way that you're always magnified and glorified. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing chorus together.